as Queen of Canada, I would now like to extend to all the peoples of the world an invitation from the people of Canada. She came to the throne in 1952. She reigned for 70 years. 680 CJOB remembers Queen Elizabeth II. She was simply to millions around the world the Queen. The most famous woman of her time, from her coronation to the outpouring of affection on her diamond jubilee marking 60 years on the throne. As her 12th Canadian Prime Minister, I'm having trouble believing that my last sit-down with her was my last. I will so miss those chats. She was our Queen for almost half of Canada's existence. And she had an obvious, deep, and abiding love and affection for Canadians. Forever a part of our country's history, remembering Queen Elizabeth II. Good morning, it is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And today, of course, will be a little bit different than our typical Friday show. Given what you just heard, given the news that we learned yesterday afternoon, the news that we suspected might be coming yesterday morning. Greg, I think it was you who pointed out uh, just before 7 or around 7 o'clock uh, that she was under medical supervision. And, um, you know, you, when you, I'm 44 years old, and I, I don't know that I can think of when I, the word stability comes to mind for me. That it, it, she's been in the queen has been the queen for my entire existence, and for most Canadians, that has been the case 70 plus years, almost 71 full years as the queen. And so, as today begins, it is a it's a new era uh, on several fronts. Uh, King Charles III will address uh, Britons, the Commonwealth, the world to a great extent tonight. Uh, that change uh, takes place instantaneously. There will obviously be lots of pageantry and pomp and circumstance and 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 mourning. It's a complicated uh, several days here. But yesterday, you knew things were grave when Buckingham Palace took that rare step step of issuing a public comment about the health of Queen Elizabeth II. That things were not ordinary. That it was going to be potentially an historic day as uh, royal family members came from really all over the world to be at the Queen's side, Loren. Yeah, and I think there's so many thoughts and feelings about this. There's, of course, people who have a feeling or connection to the monarchy or even just to England itself. There are some deep and complex feelings out there I know right now. Some might be just simple. It might just be a feeling of love or reverence. And, and there are those for sure who have no feelings about this at all. And when we've been talking about the Queen and listening to the coverage and the words coming out of various people's mouths over the past, you know, 12, 15, 18 hours, one word or phrase that keeps coming back up is how she had such a great sense of duty. You use stability, Brett, you know, from there's a whole generation out there who might be in their 80s and 90s. They grew up with her. And so there's there's that generation that's looking at it in one way. When you look at the sense of duty, I think it's that term that we have a duty to explore more on our country's past relationship with the monarchy and the queen, but a duty to also explore the future relationship. And I think here it is, the line that was just played in that audio as we came into the show this morning, quote, forever part of our history. And that's just it. Like it or love it or love it. Forever part of the history. So what do we do with that? How do we better understand that? And I'm thinking particularly of the history of colonization and the complex feelings that might be coming from many within the Indigenous community today. So there's lots to explore in terms of the future and also just as we look at the past, what we knew or maybe did not know about some of our connections here. So we'll have much to discuss this morning and, of course, for a long time on 680 CJOB. But we do have other things that we want to, of course, touch upon uh, through the morning. For example, there's... Um, 
Yeah, there might be something kind of a big deal happening at IG Field this weekend, Mr. Mackling. A pretty important football game for lots of folks here on the prairies as Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans begin to arrive in Winnipeg for the return engagement. The Banjo Bowl, of course, last weekend was the Labor Day Classic in Regina. These back-to-back games, a staple of the CFL schedule. Calgary will be taking the uh, run up Highway 2 into Edmonton for the rematch with the Elks there. So, yeah, this is uh, sort of a, a, a continuation of that that festival uh, that, that started in Regina last weekend. There'll be thousands of, of folks in green here, and they don't all come from Saskatchewan. Many, many not-so-closeted Rough Rider fans in uh. Manitoba. I'm not, not exactly <laughs> sure how that happened. I, uh, I hate to say this. I do not want to point fingers, but there are some people in western Manitoba, my people, Mm-hmm. Just is, is it the border that drew you over to the rider's side? I'm not sure, but well, you're right. Do they call it Rick, Rider Nation because every, because Saskatchewan nation. is such a lousy place to be that everyone just <laughs> fled Saskatchewan and scattered across Canada? You said it, not me, you Brett. Sold it. <laughs> but it is uh, probably pretty accurate. In Alberta, uh, when things were uh, starting to turn economically in Saskatchewan, there were billboards imploring people to consider returning to the motherland the homeland that is Saskatchewan. And yeah, there are throngs of Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans right across Canada, and you, and you nailed it. And Blue Bomber fans, to a great extent, dare I say, for much of the same reason. Hey, and there are Blue Bar- Bomber fans in Saskatchewan. Dare I ask, well, there were years there, Greg, where we looked at how how often we'd go into Mosaic or how often we'd go to Regina and just could not seem to eke out that win uh, on Labor Day or during the Labor Day Classic. What are the odds, what do the stats show when we do win that game, how we fare in the Banjo Bowl? Oh, thanks a lot. Um, I don't, I'm not putting you on the spot. I just, you know, like, do, what, what's our sense? Because it used to be that we, at the very least we could, the Banjo Bowl went more in our favor, correct? Yeah, it, yeah so it, it's more or what... less. I think it's, uh, I think the Bombers are 10 and 7 in 17. This is off the top of my head, 10 and 17. And we've won, I think it's five of the last six, and we swept it last year. So obviously looking to to sweep it again. Uh, but I, I can say this, even when I moved to Brandon in 1978, I was the oddball Blue Bomber fan yeah, growing up. Yeah, Westman. Westman loves yeah. the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. There's, you know, that inclusion of Saskatchewan versus the you know, we get accused of that perimeter ISIS and it's perimeter itis and it's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Lots of wow, fine then. I'll pick another team. Oh, get out of the here. The Blue Bombers have done a much better job of, of of getting out into the province in a more broad fashion. The Blue Bombers used to do part of their training camp in Brandon in yeah. the mid eighties yeah. in an effort to reclaim what was rightfully theirs. But let me tell you, Brett. You know this, Loren. There are lots of green and white fans uh, not too far from that Saskatchewan border on this side of it. So Derek not Taylor. Not Minnedosa. Minnedosa would not do that. <laughs> I don't know that to be true, but I'm just going to declare it. <laughs> Loren has planted the flag and declared Minnedosa a non-rider nation. The Death of the Queen. You're listening to continuing coverage on 680 CJOB. It was a little more than 24 hours ago that the world learned that the royal family had been summoned to Balmoral Castle. And Buckingham Palace officials had taken the rare step of issuing public comment on the health of the Queen, saying that doctors had recommended for her to remain under medical supervision as they were concerned for her health. Yesterday afternoon, news that Queen Elizabeth II had passed away peacefully at her home in Scotland with some of those family members at her side. So as this new day dawns, King Charles III prepares to address Great Britain and the Commonwealth tonight. Much of the world will be... Oh, it sounds like we just lost Loren now. So as she was saying, much of the world will be watching. Julie Buckingham, our colleague from the news, joins us now from just outside Norwich Cathedral, just two and a half hours northeast of London. Hello there, Julie. Good afternoon. It's uh, 24 hours ago 
that Brits learned that the Queen's health was in grave condition. And uh, appropriately enough, it's kind of a rainy overcast day, which is kind of the mood, I think, of this country right now. So there's obviously a, a massive change taking place as the man known as Prince Charles for most of his life prepares to speak tonight as King Charles III. What are people hoping or expecting to hear? Well, I had a chance to speak with two ladies who came to the Norwich Cathedral, which, by the way, is 900 years old. Uh, they're not from the area, but had planned to come to the cathedral, brought flowers, and they talked about their queen. And again, how she's been that stalwart moment and piece of their lives. It's the only queen they have ever known. I asked them what they hope to hear from Charles and that they hope to hear... I think what many of us expect we will hear, the the love that he has for his mum. Uh, as he said at the Jubilee, he, he called her mummy. And, and to hear how much he learned from her during these times. But they also want to hear how he's going to take the country forward. There's a lot going on in the UK right now. There is a brand new Prime Minister. And in fact, these two ladies I spoke with said, you know, Liz Truss was probably one of the last outsiders to see the Queen alive. Uh, just two days ago, on Tuesday, they met, and by Thursday uh, in the afternoon, the Queen was gone. And so King Charles III, as, as everyone's trying to get that to roll off of their tongues right now, will speak to the country tonight, and I think a lot of people will be hoping to hear that same strength of spirit that his mother has always been known for, that dignity. Uh, it will be very difficult, I'm sure, for him to speak. I mean, as anyone who's lost a parent, I'm sure, can attest, let alone someone who's 96, to be able to to speak to a country when you're mourning the death of your own mother, and yet you have this job in front of you. Um, think about it, when she was 25, she took on the job. Think about what you were doing when you were 25. He will now take on the job as the oldest ever monarch to take the crown at 73. So hopefully he's learned a lot from his mummy, as he says, and I think the country will be looking for um, that strength of spirit and that guiding comfort because they are dealing with a brand new British Prime Minister that is a bit of a question mark as they deal with an economic crisis, an energy crisis, and an, of course rising inflation. It'll be um, an interesting watch tonight to hear from King Charles. You mentioned that, the fact that this is a tumultuous time in Great Britain, Julie. And Julie, we're really enjoying everything you're saying. Just we're getting a, a, a ton of wind. If you could maybe turn your back a, a little bit of a different direction to block out that wind, we could hear you sure. just a tiny bit better. Uh, as you mentioned, a new prime minister earlier this week and uh, a pending, if not current, economic crisis. And now this change in the head of state. How are Britons feeling overall about this change and, and what has been your sense and, uh, since you arrived in Great Britain about how people are feeling there, uh, about what li lie ahead uh, in particular uh, as uh, autumn and, and winter approaches and, and the concern about uh, heating bills and, and this energy uh, crunch that, that seems to be upon not only Great Britain but perhaps all of Europe? I think first the the shock needs to wear off and and again many people that I've spoken to have said um, I mean she's 96 years old everyone knows this is coming but at the same time no one expected it at this time you know given the fact that we saw the the pictures of her looking frail but good on Tuesday but I think um, what I have seen over the last 24 hours are Brits doing what they do best which is you get on with it. Um, you know, I'm standing here at Norwich Cathedral. There are church services ongoing right now. There's also uh, a school here at Norwich Cathedral. You may hear some of the school children in behind me. The classes are on. People are going to work because they they have to. I, there are questions of what it's going to be like. Um, will Liz Truss be up to the job? Some are saying, huh, we're not so sure about that. And yet at the same time, um, she will meet with Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace. If that hasn't occurred already, it will be happening very soon. So we'll see what that audience is going to be like. And um, she's not new. Uh, she has been around cabinet for a long time, but it is a new position, and I think a lot of Brits are are hoping that with uh, her experience, at least in cabinet, and his experience waiting in the wings for many, many years to take on the role, that they'll be up to the task, and time will only tell.
CJOB's Julie Buckingham joining us live from England. Thank you so much for joining us, Julie. I'm guessing uh, you we didn't expect to be called into to action, uh, but I know that you've been uh, on no. with Rich. <laughs> 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 well, it's good to hear Who you. Who knew? I, 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 honestly, I got to tell you, uh, I arrived in the UK exactly uh, a week ago, Thursday. The moment it should have been a sign, I landed at Heathrow. It was uh, Terminal Two was immediately evacuated twice, and I couldn't even leave the build. I had to leave the building, but couldn't leave the premises. So the news apparently follows me everywhere. But I did not expect this one. I uh, hope to make it down to London in the next couple of days. So we shall see. 680 CJOB's Julie Buckingham joining us live from Norwich Cathedral, uh, two and a half hours northeast of London. She is, of course, the co-host of the news with Richard Cloutier, which airs weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. By the way, Loren McNabb, did we get you back? Oh, I don't even know if I should be responsible for anything today. I just <laughs> hit chords and bump things and move them around. And I was talking away there. I didn't even know I was gone. So I'm back. Happy to be back. Happy to hear from Julie and her experiences there. So thanks, Brett. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Normally, we use this conversation as a springboard to ask you to text us for a giveaway. We're still going to give stuff away today, but we're not going to associate it with our text line today, uh, I think, just because we have so much to discuss on the Queen. But you can still feel free to weigh in on the question. And with the passing of the Queen, that got like in our next uh, next segment, we're going to speak with Stuart Murray, uh, the past president of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. And he's going to talk about how he got to see parts of Buckingham Palace that the public would otherwise not be able to see. So that's the question. What fancy building would you like to explore if you had the chance? Or maybe you already have gotten the chance to explore a building uh, that always made you curious. So, Mackling, why don't we start with you? Well, uh, why don't we just keep it in England uh, after last week's incredible uh, Taylor Hawkins tribute concert at Wembley Stadium. I'm a big stadium guy. I've, I've tried to see as many stadiums and arenas in North America as I can. I would love to visit Wembley Stadium, the, the history there. It, it, it's such a gigantic stadium. It's a, the history not only with regard to, to soccer or football, but also some of the greatest names in entertainment history, uh, the uh, Live Aid concert, all the, the incredible events and, and the Olympics, everything that's happened there. Uh, I've, I'm going to put Wembley Stadium at the top of my list today. Solid pick, solid pick. Loren, what about you? I've done the tour of Buckingham Palace that everyone gets to see, and um, I wish I had had Stuart Murray's tour. It's not to say that it wasn't neat to be in there, but you don't get that behind-the-scenes look. And so if we can add the caveat of actually being able to go where people can't go, I'd love to do a tour of the White House. And I'm fascinated... You know, in some respects, the Buckingham Palace was used as a place to do business, too. They'd come in and speak to the Queen about political things. And so I would love to go to the White House, but see how that back and forth goes between where's the office in relationship to the old room, in relationship to getting upstairs to the kitchen, and, you know, the questions in and around the tunnels that may or may not be there and all that kind of stuff. I just, the, the idea that the house is also an office is a thing I can relate to in COVID times. And so I just, I think it'd be neat to, to get that deep, like a deep tour and go to, go to the places that no one else gets to go. That would also be super fun. Uh, Forte, what about you? This one I would love to, because I've been looking at this building ever since they were building it, but the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Ah. Oh, that building is giant. It's, I'm just looking at this right now. There's 163 floors. Like, this thing is massive. And I'm just, uh, like, being that high up, I just, I think it's super, super cool. Would you like to uh, explore it from outside like Tom Cruise did in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? I would try that out, actually. Oh, yeah? Where he was uh, scaling the windows? Just you're gonna have to put like three harnesses on me, though. Yeah, yeah. He just <laughs> he just used sticky hands or something, some sort of fancy thing to stick oh, to the just, glass. Come on, Fortier, use the the sticky hands. Don't be like that with harnesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get some stick them. Uh, don't they? Do they still use that yeah. in football, Mackling? Stick them. It's uh, illegal. 
But the gloves that these kids are wearing now, and I mean kids and the youngsters and playing uh, in the NFL and the CFL, they might as well be wearing stick'em. These things have so much grip on them, it's unbelievable. And Cameron Poitras, what about you? I, I, I can't pick a building. I'm going to choose an entire like city. Uh, I love history and nothing more historic to me than like Jerusalem, the old city there, the streets, the buildings, the markets, the stones, the architecture place like that i could wander for weeks going down each street like what happened here who how many people over the centuries walked down this street you know what was life like and loren i know you, you have history there in israel and, and jerusalem and stuff like that but stuff like that to me so cool uh and i can't wait to do it and loren you it's the best it really is I, I i live just a few blocks from there and um would be there often and just you could shop there too the things that you can do that are modern and then the fact that there's so much of it that's not so modern and the cool part about the old city is that you can as you said cam you can you can close your eyes or just keep them wide open and think i can see that happening a thousand years ago i can see that happening 1500 you know you can just keep going back and back and back it's remarkable so you can continue to weigh in if you'd like, 204-780-6868, but no, no prize associated with those texts. We're not going to bribe you for stories today. I'll, I'll just quickly add. Oh, go ahead, Mackling. I just wanted to say, Jeff Forche, check the text message line. Our listener Tina has sent in a picture with her in front of the Burj Khalifa. I would just like to go to Dubai because that place is crazy. Oh, neat picture, too. Wow. The building is so tall that it, it like, disappears into the background. Like, it's so far behind her. <laughs> it looks like something you'd see in Star Wars. Thank you for that picture, Tina. That is fascinating stuff. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Reminder that at 8.05, we're going to speak with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. The Banjo Bowl is tomorrow at 7.35. The Couch Potatoes Assemble. And we're going to look at a couple of uh, major pieces of entertainment involving the Queen. And as we discuss the Queen, let's just continue with our coverage. You're listening to special coverage of the death of Queen Elizabeth on 680 CJOB. Stuart Murray is past president and CEO of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Among many of the roles he has had over the years, and he was there when the Queen unveiled the cornerstone at the museum in 2010. That stone was taken from the fields near Windsor Castle, where the Magna Carta was signed. We say good morning to Mr. Stuart Murray. Hello there. Good morning, 3Ms. How are you? We're doing okay. Thanks for joining us this morning. And we'll start with the question, what was it like to have the Queen present at the Museum for Human Rights back in 2010? Okay, so to put it in context, of course, we were part of the itinerary for her visit here in Manitoba. And because the Canadian Museum for Human Rights at that point in 2010 was under construction, we knew that we had to do an event outside. And so we did it at the Forks, and there was this amazing stone from Runnymede, as you said, that came over uh, where the site of the signing of the Magna Carta in 1215. And so we were all there, and a couple of things stood out in my mind. Number one is there was going to be a plaque that had to be ceremoniously put on top of this, in, in front of this uh, stone. And part of it, there was a ledge there. But, you know, part of it had to look like she was taking a trowel, putting some cement, pu- putting it on there, and then she would put the plaque on top, of course. So everybody's a bit concerned about that, whether how would that look and how would comfortable would she feel, you know, dealing with this trowel and this concrete. And I tell you that somebody mentioned that I think the Queen had the ability to change the transmission in that 4 by 4 Land Rover that she drove in Scotland. So I don't think she was going to have any issues handling a trowel. But when she put the plaque on, I can tell you that I was there at that time with uh, that, then Premier Selinger, Prime Minister Harper, myself. It was one of those iconic moments where we realized she was giving a gift, not only to Canada, but to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. It was so significant because of where this stone had come from. And I think the challenge we all felt is that she was basically saying to us, look, the Magna Carta was one of these iconic documents that was all about establishing rights and responsibilities way back in 1215. This museum is now challenged to tell those stories to all the visitors that would come to it. So, you know, it was a very, very moving and iconic moment. But I'll just share quickly with you two other anecdotes. One is Prince Philip, of course, was with her. And we had a maquette, a model of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, so she could see what the finished product would look like. 
And as we were sort of explaining that, you know, the purpose, the way the architect designed it is that for those that have been to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, you know, as you enter the building, you gradually slope down and descend into the Great Hall, Bueller Hall. And so without skipping a beat, as I was describing that process to both Her Majesty and Prince Philip, he basically reached out and said to me, Chappie, Chappie, what happens if you get a big downpour of rain? And she looked at him and said, you would ask that question. <laughs> anyway, you know, it was one of those moments just that happened, and it was a fabulous moment. And then the last piece I'll just share with you that sticks out in my mind is, of course, part of the itinerary was that she was then going to go to the stage of the forks where there were thousands of people that were listening to the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra perform. And then she stood in front of them and addressed the crowd you know, wearing that fabulous outfit that she had, and it was like a big, beautiful pink hat with a green stripe. And, of course, she had that white purse on her arm. But when she finished, people were so, I mean, they so much loved this woman that when they were finished, they stood for her. And because her height is probably, I don't know, she might be five foot three, five foot four, all you could really see was the top of that spectacular hat as she walked across in front of where the crowd was standing for her. And it was a magnificent moment because as she waved goodbye and got into her vehicle, the minute the car door closed, a torrential rainstorm came down. So it was as if the royal itinerary said, you know, 540, speak to the crowd, 544, walk to the car, 545, commence rainstorm. It was a magnificent, a magnificent uh, opportunity to have her and her involvement with the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, a memory I'll never forget. I guess you're the fourth M this morning, Stuart. It's Greg Mackling here. And Stuart, hey, we, under, we understand that you got to see parts of Buckingham Palace that the public would never have access to. You gave us such a great anecdote about what the Queen and Prince Philip might have been behind the scenes in lighter moments. What was it like to, to see maybe some behind the scenes at, at Buckingham Palace? Well, again, just to put it in context, I, the reason I was there, of course, is that I, I worked for the Prime Minister of Canada at that time, Prime Minister Ryan Mulroney, who had a great, great relationship with both uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. And I would have to say that uh, if anybody watches the series The Crown, um, it is very uh, uh, similar to what you see in terms of once you get through the, 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 the gates and you get onto the grounds and then you go into the, the big receiving hall. It is, uh, it is magnificent and, uh, I mean, quiet. Uh, it was not, what, not, very, not very noisy. But it was a great opportunity for, for a civilian like me who would never get a chance to be a part of something. But, of course, working with the Prime Minister, you got a chance to, uh, to see some things that the public wouldn't. And it was just truly an honour. It was, a, great, uh, it was a, a blessing, for sure. Stuart Murray joining us live on 680 CJOB, past president and CEO of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Thank you so much for the wonderful stories. That's uh, I can't, the, the fact that rain came down just as she got in the car is uh, that you couldn't write that. So thank you so much. It's a great script. Well, and thank you all for, for what you're doing to celebrate to this. Uh, this is definitely an iconic, majestic woman. And uh, thank you for spending some time to acknowledge all of that. And we will have much more through the day on 680 CJOB. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb was on an adventure yesterday, rescue on the island with Stars Air Ambulance. Loren, you had a long day yesterday, but it sounds like and looks like you're having a fun day. Oh, first of all, it was a blast. I mean, in some cases... It was also hard. Uh, I got my sweat on, so to speak. I was teamed up with pilot Chris. He joked that he was the dead weight of our duo. But let me tell you, I did not add a lot to the table on this one. So once we get to the island, that one of the first challenges was to see if we could find a spot and create a signal that would let a search and rescue crew or stars know where you were on the ground and when they flew by to signal that they'd have a safe place to land. And so we had to put a giant X that would say show that someone was hurt and then create this triangle and we were hauling wood and bush and vines and I don't know if you guys have encountered these before but there's these like I know they're not just the hitchhikers like those birds that catch on to they were full-on little mini cactuses almost like <laughs> to choy us I got both Chris and I felt like we just walked repeatedly into patches of these kept yelling out 
you know, ah, like, like that. But we, we didn't win that challenge. Um, then one of the other things we had to do was a medical challenge. I mean, first of all, there's the great work that the pilots do just to get these planes to these remote spots. So it's fascinating to watch them land on really small spaces of, you know, a flat rock on this island. And then the amazing medical crew walked us through just the, the, the different scenarios they've been through before, like a hunter in the woods or a antler through the hand. And so I had to put a tourniquet on someone and then practice an intubation like, where you put the tube into it. They had a fake patient, like a dummy. And um, oh, wow. I got the tube into the right spot, guys, but I inflated the stomach, not the lungs. And so I don't know if that would kill someone, but it certainly wasn't the goal of that challenge. So I didn't pass that challenge. But overall... <laughs> I was dead weight. Overall, the challenge was to raise awareness, which I think we did a great job of, and and to raise those dollars. And so participants, Trevor and Cashia, man, they were working the phones at one point. Hundreds, over $200,000 raised yesterday, guys, which is amazing. And I think, you know, Greg, I know you've heard this before, but... The conversations have to go to what's next. I mean, this is, I live in rural Manitoba. You never want to see them land in the parking lot by a field or on a, a rural road or in a dense bush, but you need them in this remote, with so many remote areas of the province. And so for me, I keep thinking, they do this great work. What's next in terms of advancing it? For starters, Greg, you know this, you can land at HSC, but if STARS is bringing in someone who is having a cardiac event and the place they need to go is St. Boniface, they can't land at that hospital right now, right? They have to land at the city pad on Nairn and then go back into a ground ambulance and then be rushed to St. Boniface. So there's lots of questions out of this adventure that have me wondering, what more can we do? And what more can we do with our dollars? And of course, it's taxpayer dollars, Greg. Well, we have... Uh... I mean, good for you for for doing it first of all. Um, and uh, anytime I see that that helicopter, uh, my first thought is I hope that whoever is in there is okay. Exactly. But it also it 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 kind of gives me a feeling of security when I see it. You know, I've referred to it as stars as a guardian angel, and that's what uh, it feels like when I see that Ooh. red chopper flying by. I get to keep the flight suit as well. Gabby Marchand said you looked like Maverick with your helmet under your shoulder. I felt like it. I was joking with the participants yesterday. I'm going to like wear this into town to the coffee shop. And we we stopped at the hotel yesterday and this guy comes up to us and says, sorry, can you guys help us with COVID tests? Because we're all wearing these flight suits. (laughs) (laughs) So I just sort of want to walk around and just see what kind of questions I get out of it. Although I can't, I literally cannot help anyone. That's the bad part. In the meantime, it's Friday just after 7.30. That means it's the time for the couch potatoes to assemble. And for this week, we thought we would take a look. I mean, the, the queen has been portrayed in so many pieces of popular culture, but there are a couple of uh, things that, that come to mind that the couch potatoes have covered extensively in our time together. And Jeff, uh, one of them goes back to, I didn't realize how far back this movie goes, 2006. Yeah, it's and it's called The Queen, and it stars Helen Mirren. I actually rewatched it last night. Uh, I have the DVD, but I was already sitting, so I decided to see if it was on streaming, so I wouldn't have to get off the couch. And it's on, it's on both Crave and on Prime. But uh, I just wanted to point that out because um, if you have both, don't watch it on Prime. The Prime version is not widescreen, nor is it in high definition. So uh, the Crave version is much better as far as visually goes. But it's it's a fascinating movie. It's not like a uh, a usual biopic that would you know sort of be take a, a snapshot of a person's entire life. It, this movie is set over the course of one week. A very tough and. Ex- extremely difficult week because it's the week uh, following the death of Princess Diana and it's about the the reaction that the the royal family had to that death and how Tony Blair fit in with it all. He was a new prime minister at the time. But it's really Helen Mirren's portrayal as the queen that uh, is is worth the watch here because uh, it's just it's bang on it's fascinating she won an oscar for it and you, you sort of get to see the queen in a lot of these uh unstructured less formal moments because we never really get to see that part of the queen's world in real life every time we'd see her it was uh you know some formal function of some sort or even when she's like on tour it was always so you know uh highly structured and that sort of thing. But here you get to see, you know, there's scenes where she's just driving her Range Rover at uh, the Balmoral Estate in Scotland and things like that. And she used to be a mechanic and she sort of susses out what's wrong with her uh, her Jeep when it breaks down. So um, there's there's that sort of stuff. There's all the dramatic stuff, of course, with the aftermath of the death of Princess Diana. It's just a wonderful movie. It's uh, not very long 
either. It's a quick watch, and it's really it'll it'll get you choked up. Uh, it did before, and last night it did you know even more. I saw that movie on a Sunday afternoon at Grant Park. And um, I think I was probably the youngest person in that movie theater by about 20 to 30 years. Uh, so I sort of felt kind of, <laughs> I felt a little a little weird. I got it. When the movie was over, I got out of there as quickly as I could. But uh, yeah, it's a magnificent film. Loren, have you seen The Queen? No, I haven't seen that. I've seen Elizabeth. I've seen different films over the years that have depicted The Queen. And I watched all of The Crown and really very much enjoyed it just for the implied non-facts that were there, but the implications of what they were trying to say about that duty and that sense of trying to be there for her country and be there for her role, but struggling with what to do then with her family. So I thought the crown to me was, I, I really, I really, I thought they did a great job in showing it was maybe the first time in a long time where you watch something and you kind of, I almost felt sorry for her at times. If what they were portraying was even close to the truth. Sure. There's all sorts of money. Sure. She's had lots of privileges in life. She was born into wealth and all the rest. I get that, but to never really ever get to make a choice of your own to be beholden to certain things, to have all these rules around you. I mean, it, it, it at least showed that side that made you think that is, that is, that is no fun at all. Yeah, that's one of the things that I love about the crown because the, you know, the with the common thing that we often hear is, uh, you know, tough life being a member of the royal sure. family. But the the like she's been the like she was the queen to the day she died, and it, it, the, some of the things that they have to do are just tedious, and also the the frustration that we see from her when she's you know the most powerful person and yet has basically no power. No power. Yeah. You're, you're, you, they need your signature. They need your consent, but they don't want to hear anything else from you. Right. So what kind of power is that? And not that it's about the power, it's about having a say. And so you initially, and you know, the role was that there was a say at the table and that became less and less and less over the years here in Canada. Of course, it's just really a figurehead. But then even if you look back within her own house, nobody really has a say on anything. The institution has the say and, and how that all gets decided is just, it is bizarre, but it was, I, it was interesting to watch. And so even if you're not a fan, a fan of the monarchy or you don't care about it at all, I, I, they do a good job in that show also, Greg, to show the history of things well, and, and th how certain events unfolded, right? Yeah. And that's the, that's the one episode of the crown that I've gone out of my way to watch in its, in its entirety. And that's, uh, the the story of the Aberfan disaster in 1966, mm. and that's from season three. And you know that that was a story that I my great grandmother told, not because she lived in Great Britain, but that's just one of the stories I can remember being told growing up. You know, when when things get a little bit dark, and and you you reminisce about history. And Brett, you you mentioned the fact that that the Queen. Uh, had an immediate and visceral reaction, of course, to that disaster, but was held back in terms of what she could do and say and when she could do and say it uh, because of her position. It was seen more as a duty of the prime minister to be the face of the nation at that point in time. Yeah, it's a it's a great show. And season five, by the way, is scheduled for release in November. Season six, oh. yeah, it's uh, it's coming out in November. Uh, season six is in production and they are going to press pause on uh, that production for, I think I saw at least a week, maybe a couple of weeks for that, uh, just uh, to honor the queen. But yeah, if you're a fan of that show, and again, the thing with the crown is they flip the cast. They flip the cast after the first mm -hmm. two years uh, as they, you know, the cast, the, the characters in the show age, and they've done it again now. They've gone through the seasons three and four, so we've got a new cast in season five as they continue to get older. So uh, the crown's great. I just want to quickly mention as well, a couple of new things. Jeff Braun, there's a new scary movie out this weekend. I'm sure you're excited. Have you watched the trailer for Barbarian? No, I have uh, avoided the trailer for Barbarian as much as I can. <laughs> We're still sticking with that, eh, Braun? <laughs> oh, I, I can't stand it. And the times I do go see a horror movie, like when I saw Nope in theaters, all the previews were for these other horror movies, and I was like, come on. And so I, I actually got up and I was like, stood out in the hallway for a few minutes. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Barbarian's getting great reviews. It's about a young woman who rents a house uh, during her travels. She shows up at the house, and there's a guy who's already in there. So she knocks on the door and says, who are you? I'm renting this place. He says, well, I'm renting this place. We'll figure it out in the morning. You take the bed. He says to her, I'll take the couch. But uh, Great idea. What could go wrong here? Well, and the best part in the trailer is she hears a, something go bump in the night. She gets up and goes down to the creepy basement, opens this creepy door on the wall right. like, that's basically a, yep. a wall, goes down the creepy stairs, and you think this is its just all the classic horror tropes, but it's getting amazing <laughs> reviews. So- I love it. I love the life lessons of, of horror movies, which are basically, you know, like avoid outhouses, <laughs> avoid doors in yeah. the basements, avoid basements, avoid places with so cobwebs. Stay in bed. That's the, that's the moral of every yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. I love all those tropes, though, Brett. Yeah, same here. And if, if, it's a, if they do it well, that's don't great. Don't do it. Oh, don't open the door. <laughs> What's behind the door? And Greg, something for you this weekend. Adult classes are on Wednesday. We're not here to take a lesson. We're here to teach you one. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, Cobra Kai. It returns, and I think I know what I have uh, in store after the Blue Bomber game on Saturday until, well, let's just say as long as I can stay awake <laughs> through Sunday morning, I will have that that new season absolutely uh, absorbed within 24 hours of starting it. There's no way I can stop watching once I start. First three episodes are super fun. Season five of Cobra Kai now available on Netflix. Couch Potatoes podcast is now available, by the way. You can get that anywhere you get podcasts, including cjob.com. And the show airs Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6 on 680 CJOB. Jeff Braun, thank you very much, sir. You betcha. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We will have more on the death of the Queen through the morning, through the day on 680 CJOB. Need to congratulate Sandra Wadsworth, who won the tickets for Boney M Club Region Event Center December 7th. We asked the question, what's the name, the last name of the actor who portrayed the Queen in the movie The Queen from 2006? Because the trivia question, the answer starts with the letter M, and that last name is Mirren, Helen Mirren. So Sandra in Oakbank, congrats, you're going to Boney M. Now, sporting events in Winnipeg. And Queen Elizabeth were indelibly linked for nearly 50 years thanks to a portrait of the Queen which hung in the north end of the Winnipeg Arena. Yes, that iconic portrait of the Queen. The the British rock bands would almost always acknowledge it as well, Brett. Whenever they would come to town, typically the stage was set up with the back to the south end stands. And uh, I can remember Joe Elliott of Def Leppard cheersing the Queen on at least one occasion. Uh, Iron Maiden uh, on on their visits, Bruce Dickinson always acknowledged the, the Queen's portrait and Rod Stewart did the same and uh, probably others. But did you know that on Monday, July 13th, 1970, the Queen actually attended a football game at the old Winnipeg Stadium? It was a preseason game. Uh, the Blue Bombers lost the game 22-21. Their opponent... You guessed it. Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Blue Bombers. And Derek... That score could very easily be replicated this week. Uh, I could imagine just about anything in, in this game, the way these two teams played game number one. It was a doozy. So talk about the, the you know, the, the, the difference this week. Uh, the Blue Bombers have one more win, uh, you know, under their belt. Uh, what, what do you think the, the, the game plan is for the Blue Bombers? Just more of the same or do they need to get better in some spots? I think they'll need to get better in some spots. What was what was surprising was Saskatchewan was able to move the ball against them so easily in the first part of that game, right? Like they they got up fourteen nothing, seventeen to seven as well. Uh, then then it went dry for them. But then on that what was essentially their final drive, uh, once again they were back to be able to move the ball really well. The run game was spectacular against the Bombers early on. The pass game worked in spots and. If not for that final interception, if Cody Fajardo doesn't kind of lose it for a moment and overthrow a really easy pass that was eventually picked off by Nick Hallett, I mean, the Riders could well have won that game with a with a field goal. So, yeah, they're, they're going to have to uh, – I, I feel like they will understand a little better how Saskatchewan does it because their attack is quite unique this season so far. 
in the Canadian Football League. But uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty thin margin that had them on top. There's been a lot of thin margins, and I think a lot of people have their eye on the idea of sewing up first place. How important is that, Derek? Oh, I mean, in this in the CFL, maybe more than any other sport, first place is important. You get to miss an mm-hmm. entire game, and only then only one game stands between you and the Grey Cup, and that game gets to be at home. Like it's it's enormous. When when you think back to 2021. Uh, the Bombers kind of escaped a terrible performance because, one, they were really good, and, two, they were at home against Saskatchewan Roughriders. The, the way they did it in 2019, speaking of the Bombers, like going on the road twice is incredibly unusual in the CFL. More than half the time, the number one seed just advances to the Great Cup because of the inherent advantage you get. So, yeah, more wins, and then you start you keep piling them on top of other wins. And then, as well, by the end of the regular season, you start to have options for Hey, what do we do? Do we get Zach Kalaros some rest? What about this guy who's been banged up? What about getting him some rest so he can be in prime spot for the playoffs? So yeah, uh, more wins the better. And this one would, you know, be another another a head to head is what I'm going for clinched against the division rival. That would be fantastic. Saskatchewan, of course, so will be looking to avenge last week's loss. What do they need to do differently? Protect the football is probably the big one. Uh, Saskatchewan was really able to run the ball well. They had some pass plays uh, break right for them. I think of like everybody drops their coverage and Mitchell Pickton is racing wide open after Cody Fajardo barely avoids a sack. He finds Mitchell Pickton number 81 wide open on the near sideline. Uh, things have to break right for them. They'll hope to run the ball again with that power formation, the big fullback in the backfield as well. And Fajardo has to be just a fraction sharper he he honestly he was pretty good in that game he was avoided a sack from willie he avoided a sack from jackson to that point where you're like they've got him and then they just slip off him like he's you know covered in butter uh he's gonna have to keep keep that up and then i mean their defense got hit in spots where they may not have expected it nick Dembski breaks away for a long touchdown and then of course they fell prey to Zach Caleros can scramble and make anything happen, and he seems to always be able to find Dalton Schoen on the other end of that, as Schoen scored his ninth touchdown of the season. So, you know, a little more pressure on Zach wouldn't wouldn't hurt them, and, uh, you know, it'll be a week away from the Garrett Marino dilemma that had, uh, you know, faced them for the last 12 weeks. Well, the Blue Bombers typically don't play their their 14th game of the season this early in the season, yet here we are as they look to go to... They're looking to go to 13-1? and one? My goodness. Yep. That's pretty impressive. Uh, DT, we'll have to let it go there. Uh, what's, what are the coverage plans for tomorrow? When do things get underway? At 2 o'clock, we will have the pregame show live from the tailgate area at IG Field. Special guest, Bob Irving, will give us the dissertation on the beginnings of the Banjo Bowl, what this game was like before, Troy Westwood's comments. And so uh, Kelly Moore's got a deep, deep look back also, well, also into the Banjo Bowl. We'll hear from the head coach. We'll... Hear from a player who had his first taste of the Winnipeg-Saskatchewan rivalry. We interviewed him 12 weeks ago about what he knew of it, and we'll talk to him today about what he knew about it. So uh, a lot of good stuff in tomorrow's pregame show starting at 2. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live on 680 CJOB, ahead of the Banjo Bowl. And a quick reminder as well, Fan Appreciation Day is on Sunday at IG Field from 12.30 until 3.30. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. And uh, we've only got a few minutes here, but we're going to sneak something in, uh, the Ren, that is uh, an important uh, part of the conversation as it pertains to the Queen. Well, I think there are many people with conflicting feelings in and around her passing, either because you, you just you have feelings about the monarchy, you might have feelings about the royals, and then, of course, you have the feelings about the impact of the monarchy, the royals on our country, colonization, residential schools, and all the rest. And so the feelings that many might be feeling might be hard to put into words this morning. And so we wanted to speak now to our next guest, Negan Sinclair, University of Manitoba. Thank you for taking the time. I know I caught you on short notice, but it was important for us to kickstart this conversation because I'm just curious what you're hearing this morning, Negan, when it comes to thoughts on the passing and, and what we look at from our past and take into the future. Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, I mean, for 70 years, 
the queen has been the monarch, uh, and for those 70 years, they've been some pretty, I think, you know, important moments for all of us. I mean, all of us can remember uh, standing up for God Save the Queen in school. All of us can remember the important visits. I, I remember one really big, important one in 1984 that meant a lot to, to my family. And, and, you know, if you go up north uh, to First Nations reserves where I come from, uh, you can see that, you know, there's a copy of Hello Magazine. There's a picture of the Queen in the house. You know, people take the crown very seriously because, you know, for Indigenous people, uh, the Queen represents treaty, represents our relationship to uh, Canada. I mean, the, the Queen is the primary thread in which Indigenous peoples have a relationship with this country. And so we take it very seriously. And then, you know, we also take very seriously that she's a matriarch and she's a grandmother and she's a mother and she's a very strong woman. And so in the Indigenous communities, it's very important. And at the same time, you know, she's presided over a, a very violent time in Canadian history where a lot of really atrocious, bad, terrible things have happened. And many of those things we're talking about today. But, you know, when you're in a position of power and influence and you do nothing, it's almost as if you are complicit within that action. And certainly the Queen, uh, I think, tried to intervene at times with certain appointments of lieutenant governors and governor generals. And, and then, you know, there was a moment in 1970 when she was in the PAW, and she actually said... Uh, you know, Canada has done very well for many people, but not for Indigenous people. So I think the Queen was certainly aware of the problems, but uh, was quite ambivalent. Um, you know, people have said that she's very apolitical, and uh, uh, certainly there's been a... Um, it, it doesn't particularly leave a strong feeling of her reign uh, for Indigenous peoples anyways. There'll be all sorts of conversations in the days and weeks ahead about just the future period, right, of the royal family and the monarchy in Canada, Nigam. But with, with those complex feelings that you just explained just now for the you know people watching and, and being aware of what's going on in the royal family, but yet also being well aware of what she did or did not do in her 70 plus years, what do we do with that then as we move forward and, and try to make sure we all understand that better? Well, what I was saying yesterday was, you know, when Prince Philip passed away, um, there was a great deal of information that sort of came to light, or I wrote a column about it in Winnipeg Free Press anyways, um, and uh, talking about kind of the old-school privileged elitism of Prince Philip, and, and that often came across in many different racist statements that he would make. And, you know, we have to remember that he came from a very different time than many of us did, where a lot of those things were voiced publicly that perhaps would be inappropriate to talk about for today. Um, but interestingly enough, you know, the, we never saw a misstep with the Queen. Uh, we never saw the Queen make some comments, uh, while not very, it didn't make a lot of impact anyways, if she did say anything that came from a similar time from when Prince Philip came. So I think the Queen had a kind of sensibility uh, that I think was often before her time. She was conscious of uh, racism, and so she was very conscious to try to to try to walk that line of respect. And I think that's where you get a lot of that respect from Indigenous peoples. So it's not that the Queen will leave behind no legacy. I just think that there are many uh, opportunities that the Queen had to have the ear of a Prime Minister, for example, or just to direct the government. And then, you know, many times she was able to take those upon and, and see the ways that 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 could have been navigated with like the appointment of Adrian Clarkson, for example, or the appointment of uh, James Bartleman, the very first Indigenous senator as lieutenant governor of Alberta. You know, th- these were moments, I think, that, that, that shows that the Queen was aware. I certainly think the Queen could have done more. But hopefully with this new king, um, by all accounts, uh, people are saying that the, uh, the king uh, has an opportunity here and has shown more interest in Indigenous issues than the past. And uh, last May, when King Charles, previous Prince Charles, was in Canada, uh, he directed the Canadian government to look, to look to Indigenous peoples to solve the issue of climate change. That's the kind of work that I think a monarch needs to do, to direct the governments that, that he is in uh, control of as the constitutional head to say, you know, here's where you can learn, here's where you can do some action, here's where you can, you know, stop this violent genocidal legacy. He actually said that. He said we need to wave in a new, a new uh, era of reconciliation. And I think that's what the monarch should be doing. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. 
At the end of this segment, we do have tickets to give away for something that's happening on Sunday. Teen Challenges Demolition Derby, Sunday, September 11th, the Manitoba Stampede and Exhibition Grounds. We also have tickets to give away for The Offspring coming to Winnipeg Friday, November 18th, Canada Life Centre. We'll do that in our next segment. Normally on Fridays at this time, we usually have our weekly gab with Gabby, but we're going to press pause on that for this week. The Death of the Queen. You're listening to continuing coverage on 680 CJOB. There are many thoughts and feelings around the passing of Queen Elizabeth, but few have the perspective of not just meeting her, but essentially working for her. Yeah, so our next guest wasn't just Premier of Manitoba back in the late 70s. He also served as Governor General from 1979 to 1984, which means he was her representative in Canada. We're joined now by Ed Schreier. Good morning, sir. Yes, good morning. Well, thank you for taking the time. And, you know, I'm curious, in so many ways, the role of Governor General is is a ceremonial thing. But when you got these opportunities to meet her, was it all ceremony? Or was there any sort of behind-the-scenes, more candid moments? Oh, well, there was a great many, you might say, very human moments. Uh, among the many things that I shall long remember about Queen Elizabeth is... Uh, how remarkably easy she was to talk to, how um, sort of just simply easy and and very human uh, to talk to. It was like talking to one's sister. That's how I found her. I thought it was remarkable every time that I met her, which was over the course of her long life uh, and mine, uh, I guess seven or eight times. Some would consider this a complicated relationship, Canada's relationship with the monarchy and and uh, the role of the Governor-General. It's Greg Mackling here, by the way, Mr. Schreier. Uh, what do you think about the role of Governor-General moving forward? Is, is this something uh, that should be discussed uh, in the near future? Well, it never hurts to discuss it uh, whenever the occasion arises. I can tell you this, that when the Canada Act was... Uh, Um, formulated and enacted and meetings were held between the Prime Minister and the Premiers of the of the provinces back in uh, the early 80s the provision with respect to the monarchy and the existence and role of the office of Governor General was among the very first uh, paragraphs of law to be agreed upon so that's kind of uh, tells you something. I, I I think it tells you that uh, uh, on, until and unless we find a much more, a much better way, a much prefer, preferred uh, substitute or alternative, uh, it's going to stay and remain a part of our constitution. There is a certain uh, complexity to these things, but I don't know of any alternative that doesn't have its its own kind of complexity. It's uh, Brett McGarry here. Mr. Schreier, what should we consider as we look to the future of our relationship with England? Well, I like it, I like it the way it is right now. Uh, we, we have, uh, for all practical purposes, uh, independence from the, quote, mother country. Uh, I know of no instance in which... Uh, we aren't uh, free to follow our own uh, determinations. At the same time, by this linkage uh, with the uh, with the monarchy, we have a kind of familial uh, relationship, which uh, in many ways is good. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be one of those uh, tinkering and asking that we make some fundamental change. Sometimes and, and I think the Ameri- be- sometimes I think the Americans rather wish that they uh, had preserved some kind of linkage themselves. They seem to be preoccupied with a monarchy and the royal family almost as much as we are. You make a good point. We talk about uh, 
Prince Harry and Meghan Markle or whatever their titles are now and and the fascination in the States with them. And there's been that fascination around the world with this family, Mr. Schreier. So before we let you go, there will be time in the future to talk about the future. Of course, there's some, these are some of the questions that are, are on our mind. And that will begin right at noon, right, when the king speaks. He's named king instantly. And there's all sorts of different protocol that people might not understand that really are the rules of the monarchy. One of our listeners even called or texted to say they can't believe that the Court of Queen's Bench is changing its name so quickly. But at the <laughs> end of the day, this is an institution, right, that, that well, it has its that rules. Sense, uh, it, it happens immediately. I mean, the formal coronation may take some time, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the old saying, uh, the king is dead, long live the king. Uh, there is instant, instant uh, transfer. Uh, with with the life itself. And so as we look back, your final thoughts about the Queen, you mentioned she was like a sister. Do you think you could have told her anything, Mr. Shire? I really do. That's why I, <laughs> what I find so remarkable about her. Uh, she was just so... I mean, when you consider the fact that with all the protocol of the high office she held, and for so many years, moreover, Nevertheless, she was so so easy uh, to talk to, and one. I mean, I I, I was so totally fond of her for for that and, and other reasons. And I might add, I have a, a very high. Uh, I have a great deal of sympathy and empathy for for King Charles because I, I see in him the milk of human kindness, even though he's had rough rides and terms of some publicity and some things that have happened in his life. But for the most part, he is a uh, remarkably warm and generous person. Ed Schreier joining us live on 680 CJOB. He was Premier of Manitoba and Governor General from 1979 to 1984. Thank you very much for the time and insight. We very much appreciate it. You're most welcome. 913 with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. If you want to weigh in on our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com, the question is, if you could describe the queen, if you could describe her reign in one word, what would it be? 40% say devoted, 26% say historic, 21% say honorable, 9% strong, and just 3% say successful. Cast your vote, cjob.com. We have one more prize to give away. It's coming up in two minutes' time. Tickets for The Offspring. But we did just give away Tickets for Teen Challenges Demolition Derby, which happening this Sunday, September 11th, Manitoba Stampede and Exhibition Grounds. Jeff Forte, who won that prize? Jason Flood. Jason Flood. That's two Jasons today. Jason Vickery won the Jets tickets. Jason Flood wins the Demolition Derby tickets. Maybe we'll get a third Jason for The Offspring tickets in a moment. Um, We were talking earlier... Uh, about which buildings we would like to explore because Buckingham Palace is uh, top of mind for many right now. So we thought uh, it would be, I mean, we spoke to Stuart Murray, past president of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, who also served under Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. And he said he got to see parts of Buckingham Palace that the public wouldn't get to see. And uh, one of the buildings that I always wanted to check out, and we, the three of us actually got to tour, actually, is 529 Wellington. You remember that tour, Mackling? That was uh, absolutely uh, an honor, a privilege to see the behind the scenes of, was of I that incredible that building. I think so. Were you not? Mm. Were we not there? I mean, I've enjoyed five two nine Wellington with you two, but I don't know if I, I don't. Anyway, continue. I'm just now <laughs> questioning my own memory right now. That's all that's going on. <laughs> well, maybe you weren't there, McNabb. I'm certain you were, but I, it's been like four, five years. Well, but. then it wasn't me. Thanks. Now I just didn't well, maybe that's fine. Well, see, now I can't remember. I don't know. I Does- think this is the time that we went and uh, with behind the glass Jerry, we sat in the lounge. Okay. And oh, it was Jerry who was there. That's okay. right. Okay. Yep. All right. There it is. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad we, we worked that out. We right connected now some. Live. <laughs> Um, all right, fine. So you weren't there, Loren. Well, then now we'll have to get another tour of five to nine. But yes, it's a neat old. It's such a magnificent mm-hmm. property. And I, I the first I remember the first time I went, I thought I would love to wander around this place. And then we actually 
I think we just said it to uh, a friend who worked there who now has moved on to work somewhere else. But he said, oh, I'll give you a tour. So that was cool. And uh, but another building I would love to to tour is the Roslyn, the apartment building at the northeast corner of Osborne and Roslyn, because I hear that the the architect who uh, designed it was a rather eclectic person, shall we say? And several floors apparently have different layouts, and there's like um, not quite hidden passages, but weird little passages and uh, some crazy artwork in there. It just I, I went and looked at a suite. It's kind of a spooky building. Did you ever get to get inside that building, Loren, when you, when you lived in Osborne Village? No, but I've looked, ever since you've talked about that, I've looked online. You know how you can see the different rooms and you're right like everything is a different completely as opposed to all the new construction where it's relatively the same right every space is very uniquely different in terms of layout corners all the rest yeah Mackling, what about you you ever been in there no and it's surprising because i worked for shaw for a a little while (laughs) on what they called the audit team and we would i've been inside just about every apartment building in winnipeg really yeah checking out to see who is stealing cable Another new job. Yeah, I can't I go. cannot keep up. I feel like you're making this up now at some point. How do I Come make on, that up? How on know, earth would I make that you know, up Loren, into it what reminds me end? of a time I used to dig ditches and I was digging this ditch and then no. the next week it'd be like when I was an ornithologist no. studying birds, would I if what I, I really wanted to say I had been inside the Roslyn, that would be the segue, ridiculous. the conduit to which that <laughs> may have young. happened. But I'm saying You're it didn't do it. You're too young to have 7,000 I'm, I'm not good at anything, so I have to get lots of jobs. When I was an arborist and I studied trees, like, I, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it.